0: Hello, this is Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Water Fact. Today I'm talking criminal law with Professor Tom McDonnell. <music> professor McDonald is a professor of law at the Elizabeth Pupp School of Law at Pace University, where he teaches criminal law and international law. He's an expert on international law and the author of United States International Law and the Struggle Against Terrorism. But in this particular case, he shares his expertise on criminal law and talks about mistake of law. As a criminal law professor, I can tell you that I find that mistake of law is one of the hardest concepts to grasp. And then, and in this episode, Professor McDonald parses it out in an easy and understandable way That's a sure, that's certain to help you. That's certain to help you succeed on law school exams. That's certain to help you succeed on your exams. Here's my discussion with Professor Michael. All right, so thank you for joining me, and we're going to talk about one of the hardest topics, I think it's one of the hard topics in criminal Law, okay. which is mistake of law. Yes. Mistake of law, so tell me about mistake of law. What is mistake of law?
1: Well, before we get into mistake of law, I think we have to talk about the general rule that ignorance of the law or technically called mistake of the law, is not an excuse. Because that is really the bedrock principle. It's based primarily on utilitarian grounds, which essentially means societal good, but sometimes there can be real tension between utilitarian grounds, societal good, and the rights of the individual. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one of the most famous cases involves a federal prison guard who comes to New York City with his gun and in that case even though he honestly believed that as a quote-unquote peace officer he had the right to carry his gun without a permit into New York City Mm -hmm. uh, the court said no and he was found guilty and was ultimately lost his job and he really made a good faith mistake.
0: Because you can't say, the, I didn't understand that the law applies." to Again,
1: the law, you know, right? ignorance of the law right. is no excuse. So what's interesting about that case is that the court identified uh, three utilitarian bases. So what
0: are those three reasons? Well, the
1: first is to encourage people to know what the law is, which kind of makes sense, particularly in the era when you had Malum in say crimes, street crimes. Most people kind of knew the law. Mm-hmm. In today's world, we have so many administrative regulations, you know, you know, gun control. Also, you know, politics. You know, criminal st- statutes regarding you know, contributions to campaigns, which are extraordinarily complicated. Right. So it's 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 somewhat unfair. Okay. But nonetheless, that's the first one. The the, the other two uh, are kind of interesting. The first kind of makes sense. We don't want people to abuse a mistake of law of defense. So to to fabricate a mistake of law of defense when they knew what the law was and they just out uh, and violated. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because all you all
0: well, you have to do is say, I didn't think this was yeah, the law. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. go
1: home. Right. right. So so that one kind of makes sense. But mm-hmm. the other ground that the court mentioned was that we don't want good faith mistake of law defenses either. And you said it's What do you mean by that? By in other words, like the very example I gave you. I mean, the, the the prison guard, the federal prison guard, believed that he had the right to carry the gun right. in New York City. Right. It's really a reasonable belief, as well as I think it was an honest belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, And the court basically said, well, you know, it's going to take us uh, too much time and effort to hear those cases. So, again, think of it as judicial economy, but, again, a utilitarian basis. And one can question that, but in other words, what students need to realize is that it's very deeply ingrained Mm -hmm. in American jurisprudence. Mm -hmm.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. So, even though we have this rule that says ignorance of the criminal law for which you're being charged... Is not a defense, meaning I didn't know this criminal law existed. That's never a defense. But we still have a type of mistake of law defense, don't we?
1: Yeah, we do. And I, and I want to go into, there are really three, I like to call them the three strands. And then there's one other, which is kind of like in a different category. Okay. All right. And the first strand of mistake of law defense is the following. If the legislature wants to create a mistake of law defense for a specific area, mm-hmm. it may do so.
0: Interesting. Okay. All right,
1: So that's the first. Okay. Strand. Okay. And let me explain okay. the first. Yeah. Okay. okay. The first. year sure. And I think there's no better case than Cheek versus the United States. Right. Okay. Now, I'm sure your first year students are aware of this, but this was a case where an American airline pilot went to some fringe seminar that apparently convinced him that he did not have to pay income taxes. hmm
0: okay.
1: And so he doesn't 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 pay his income taxes. Right. And he claims that, well, I don't have to pay income taxes. It's not required that I pay income taxes. And the question was, did the prosecution have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant uh, knew he had to pay income taxes? And the interesting question, it sounds like, hey, this, this doesn't even pass the straight face test, right, you right, might, right, you right, might right. say, all right? You actually might say. <laughs> because the say. only
0: thing we're sure is that the taxes, so there uh, you go. <laughs> but what was interesting in that case,
1: the jury, you know, during while well, the deliberations, sent a letter to the judge saying, well, what if he honestly believed that he didn't have to pay his taxes? And the courts, the trial court says back, well, it has to be not only an honest, but also a reasonable belief.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they convicted him. Surprisingly enough, when this case reached the United States Supreme Court, The court reversed agreeing with the airline pilot. And you might say, well, how can that possibly be? (laughs) Well, well, the court focused on a, a couple of things. First, the statute says willfully evade income taxes. Okay. And the court interpreted the word willfully to mean that the prosecution had to prove that defendant knew that he was disobeying the law.
0: Okay, excellent.
1: And, and so, and, and that's, and, and, and you can say, well, does that really make sense? How does the court, and this was Justice White, who by no means is considered a liberal pro-defendant justice. Mm-hmm. And I think to understand this, to understand this, I think you have to remember that the income, that the tax codes are very, IRS codes, are very complex. Right. And because they're so complex... Uh, it's possible that Congress did, in fact, want to make sure that people knew they were violating law before they could be could be prosecuted. So that that is the one one important strand, not a strand that's often that often comes up, but it does come up in another context, which I want to just talk to you about very briefly. Okay, and that is the claim of right defense.
0: Okay.
1: So now what you ask you? Well, what's the claim of right, right defense?
0: <laughs> you beat <need> me to yeah. <laughs> it.
1: claim of right defense anyway? Yeah. You know, now, the claim of right defense usually comes up in the context of larceny. Okay. okay so, as you recall, almost all larceny statutes say that the defendant, the prosecutor must prove, on a reasonable doubt, that the defendant intended to deprive another of a property. Usually, it's intended to permanently deprive another right. of property and right. takes away the property. So, the claim of right defense deals with a situation where the defendant honestly believes that he is took away his own property. An okay. example I often give is. You have somebody who's gone skiing all day, okay, and he goes to the bar, the you know, the ski uh, lounge, okay, lodge, and gets a few drinks. Comes out and grabs the wrong pair of skis, okay, okay and then is charged with larceny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so is he criminally responsible for larceny under those circumstances? And the answer is, assuming he honestly believed he was taking his own skis, the answer is no. Okay, he's not criminally responsible, even if he was drunk and reckless. Right. In doing so,
0: right.
1: he has to honestly believe that, he's, right. that he was uh, taking someone. If he honestly believes he's not taking another's property, he's going to prevail. Now, the thing that's interesting is, well, you might say, wasn't that really a mistake of fact? I yeah.
0: was going to say, wasn't that really a mistake of fact? And <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was
1: going to say. Isn't it a mistake of fact? In other words, isn't it that it was he took the wrong skis? so That's the fact. He just took the wrong skis. And, and, and therefore, it's a mistake of fact. But, but I would argue no.
0: Okay. It
1: actually is, if you think of property as title. Okay. So the question really is, does the person have title to the property? Right. So it really is an example of mistake of law, and it comes really under that same category as mm-hmm. the legislature, really comes out of common law, has created this claim of right defense. Now, uh, another example, which I'm sure almost every student who's taken criminal law knows. Yes. Is the uh, Marset versus United States case involving a junk dealer who goes to a military base, and goes to uh, you know some firing range and gathers all the spent shells, mm-hmm. and he's charged, which essentially the court determines to be larceny, okay, although that's that was another part of the case. Right. And his defense really is, well, I thought the spent shells were abandoned.
0: Right, and and had every reason to believe they yeah, were abandoned.
1: He did. because they were like in this old. Yeah, they're bento- they rusted were rusted yeah, yeah, up, yeah. and everything else. Yeah. But the question is, so so it really is, you know. So again, it's a question of who has title to the property. Right. He be- honestly believed that they were banned, Apparently, mm-hmm. honestly believed they were banded, mm-hmm. and therefore, even if the air Force, the military had not abandoned them, nonetheless, his honest mistake of law because it's a mistake of title is a defense. So, that, so that's, I say, my first strand of mistake of law doctrine.
0: That, and you know what's interesting, and I've taught this several years, I've never thought of it that way, and that's such a great way to think of it. So if the language of the statute has words like willful or, of other words, that make it true that the defendant knew exactly what they were doing to break that law, and they don't have that element, or the prosecution can approve that element of those words that make it obvious that he intended to break the law then the defendant is excused. So that's a perfect example of mistake of law your first strand where the language of the statute drafted by the legislature excused yeah, the defendant. Cr- cr- that's cr- great, great way of thinking about it. That. I love that. Okay, second strand. Okay,
1: now the second strand I call it the second strand uh, kind of uh, how would I put it? Let me, let me phrase it this way first. In the spirit of the ex post facto prohibition strand.
0: Okay, okay. got it, All right. got it. Ex now, post facto after the fact. Now
1: you yeah. can think of it also as like a reliance strand too, but, but okay. ex post facto strand. And, and again, the most, uh, to me, the most dramatic dramatic example of this is the Albertini versus United States case. Okay. okay. And it, what happened in Albertini, Albertini was protesting in a military base in California. right. And he was actually in the base. Mm-hmm. And he's first charged with trespass.
0: Right.
1: He's found guilty. Case goes up to the Ninth Circuit. And the Ninth Circuit reverses. Why? Because Ninth Circuit rules the defendant had a First Amendment right to protest on the military base. Mm-hmm. So the defendant you know, now you know, has been you know, fully exonerated. He has the judgment of the Ninth Circuit in his hand. Correct. And he goes out and protests again.
0: Yeah, because that Ninth Circuit, that intermediate court, said overruled, said you're not convicted of what you did. What you did was not against the law.
1: Exactly. Okay. So you know, so he's fine. He's he's cool. He's pumped, right? <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. He's pumped. <laughs> he's got the law with him. He's got
1: literally the law in his hand. <laughs> okay, right, all right. Right.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Turns out, however, that after he protests. CERT is granted by the United States Supreme Court. The case goes up to the U.S. Supreme Court. The mm-hmm. Supreme Court reverses right. the Ninth Circuit, reinstates his original conviction mm-hmm. for the protests he did before the Ninth Circuit uh, ruled. Now, he then now is in turn charged with the protests, you know, after he got the initial Ninth Circuit ruling.
0: Okay? Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know the prosecutor essentially saying, well, you know, he did not have the right to protest, this was pure trespass. So the question is that, well, when he actually had that, the judgment of the Ninth Circuit in his hand, okay, was he entitled to protest now that the Supreme Court, you know, had subsequently reversed? And the answer the Ninth Circuit gave was yes. Okay? Because what happened is, what the Supreme Court did was essentially... That's why I say it's in the spirit right. of an ex post facto law. Right. That what the Supreme Court essentially did was, it's like, enact a subsequent legislation. Enact, you know, if you will, figuratively. Right. This new law which says that that you can't protest on a military base. You have no First Amendment rights to do so. Right. So the court basically is coming back to the Ninth Circuit. Now, this is Albertini II, by
0: right. the way. Right, know, right, like right, circuit. right.
1: And what the court says is, well, this is... Uh, You know, this is really the nature of an ex post facto law, and it's a violation of due process. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, it kind of makes sense. And that's what... And So this this is my second, you know, strand of uh, mistake of law.
0: And that makes sense. And what what I always thought about when we talk about Albertini is that Albertini was not a lawyer. He didn't understand judicial review. And so he had every right to think that the party was over, that this case had been dismissed. I mean... Maybe his lawyer was a bad lawyer and should have said pulled off. It's kind of like winning an award at trial and realizing it's subject to appeal. But I don't know. I thought that was. I, I do. I was happy to see kind of a fair. Yeah, and, and that, that and
1: case. that kind of makes sense. And and this this decision ground is very similar to the Model Code's 2.04, what I will call a stopple ground. I mean, mm-hmm. they're really. Almost the same thing. So I kind of put them in the same string yeah, together.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And what, as you know, what, what the Model Penal Code says in, in Section 2.04, it says that if a defendant reasonably relies on a statement of the law that has later turned out to be wrong, turned out to be erroneous, well then the defendant has a, def- a mistake of law defense. Okay? So let's just use this, let's just play the... Uh, MPC approach into that those same fact so the defendant had the the judgment of the Ninth circuit in his hands we could reasonably rely that that was the law of the land Mm -hmm. and, and he could go forth now a different question might be posed if for example cert had been granted before in his very case before he started protesting again right there, I mean, as you, as you know, there are seven or 8,000 cert petitions filed every year. Less than 100 of them are granted. Mm-hmm. So before cert is actually granted, you have a good chance of knowing that it's, it's unlikely the Supreme Court's gonna, going to reverse that decision.
0: Right.
1: Once cert is granted, one could argue, well, maybe it's not reasonable to rely. Okay? Now, unfortunately, there have been some recent cases which suggest that if other circuits have reached the contrary results... It may not necessarily be reasonable. You can just see how courts are very, uh, how would I say, you know, uh, you know, not very generous right. when it comes to finding mistake of the law of defenses. Right. But in any event, in this case, I think you can say that, that he reasonably relied. So there should be no, should Got be no it. issue. Okay, great. So that, that's my second okay, strand. Okay, got okay, it. Are right. you with me?
0: Yes, I am. Perfect. Okay. 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 Now, third <laughs> now, <strand. laughs> now, my third <laughs> strand. Now, my third strand. Who it could be so much fun?
1: Okay. Mistake of law, would you possibly imagine? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the third strand, I will call my fundamental due process, fundamental fairness due process stance. Okay. And this is really, I think, best exemplified uh, by Lambert versus California, Supreme Court case,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, written by Justice Douglas. And the facts of Lambert are important to, and the statute also in, in Lambert are important to, to kind of unpack this case, because it's not it, it's not completely simple in my view. First of all, what happened okay. in, in Lambert? Lambert was a convicted felon, right? And she uh, was residing in Los Angeles, Okay. and Los Angeles had previously passed an ordinance which required convicted felons to register. With the L.A. police. Okay. And she had failed to do so. Okay. So she's challenging this on due process grounds, on the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. And the court concludes that she does have a due process ground and, that, and reverses the conviction. And a couple of things are, are important. First, I think one should recognize that the statute itself was that required to register apparently was a strict liability statute. There was no mens rea required. And the court emphasized that there was no obligation to show that Lambert had notice mm-hmm. of the obligation. Okay. So, so they
0: proved the, all
1: the elements. Okay, yeah, well, they did. I mean, mm-hmm. she was living in or residing in L.A. She failed to, to right. register, yeah. etc. Okay. okay. So that's, that's the first thing. The, the second aspect of it is that this was an omission case. Okay. So In other words, he required felons to register. So, right. so this was a failure to act case. Right. Now, the, there's certainly the, there was actus raising. It was a, a duly published ordinance. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was a duty to act. There was a duty to register. There's no question about that. But nonetheless, there was an omission case, a failure to act. Right. And the third aspect of this case, which I think is critical, is that uh, one of the key elements really is a status element, being in L.
0: Okay.
1: Is one of the key elements
0: of the statue. Okay, I was thinking of being a felon.
1: Well, oh, and also being, and you're absolutely right. Okay. And, and the okay. second one is being a felon. Okay. So there so really are a true two statues, statu- you're yeah. absolutely right. Okay. Two status okay. elements of the face. Okay. So what I characterize this as a perfect storm. Okay. All right? Mm-hmm. Which, you I mean, but for any one of those parts coming together, perhaps a different result would have, would have occurred. Okay. So let's t- take a, a hypothetical. Let's assume LA enacted an ordinance to say that no convicted felon shall be employed or work in a child care center. All
0: right. All right. So that's Makes, the yeah.
1: Okay. Would the results have been different? I don't even put you on the spot. No, 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 no.
0: The result would but she was a convicted felon. She was but a convicted felon. The result fel-
1: would not have been different. Well would it have? Well, that's the question. Would it have? I well,
0: don't think it would have because she was still a convicted felon.
1: She was still a convicted felon. I would, I'm I to have to dis- respectfully disagree. Okay, why? Right? Well, because first of all, take a look. Yes, you do have the status of her being a convicted felon. Right. This is not an omission case. Okay, it's right. an act case. You don't have the status of being in L.A. Okay, now granted, let, let's assume that the penalty is a misdemeanor. Let's not get into the question of, well, of too heavy a punishment. Right, that okay, kind of fine. fine. But I would argue that that, that statute would probably be constitutional. Because you don't have these other elements that that render the statute uh, problematic, but in the in the Lambert case, I'm sorry, the Lambert case, you do have you do have all of these this perfect storm of two status two statuses okay an omission case this, this is by the way not an omission case it's right. a back case right and again you do have the same let's assume for argument's sake it is a strict liability case
0: so let me ask you a question why I guess I'm a little confused sure why Does the status element render it unconstitutional?
1: I think it's, again, I think it's more of a perfect storm. Okay. In combination, cumulatively, it might. There were
0: just too many things. I
1: think. I think in that case, if you think about it, I mean, this person, there was no evidence in Lambert that she knew of the obligation to report. Okay. So that's that's not what she's No evidence of it. And also, you might, another argument you might make is that, well, I mean, people probably, you know, now know that you know the child care industry is, is is a little bit more highly regulated. I mean, I mean people might oh, might, so
0: she might be more aware. Well,
1: of... well might be. I'm, okay, I'm, just, I'm okay, just thinking. I Whereas see. you might not necessarily think that because you're a you, and you happen to go, you, you know, you happen to move into L.A. that that all of a sudden you have this registration requirement. This this case was was decided I think in the '60s too, where uh, those types of requirements I, I think we'd say were probably less 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 frequently known. But anyway, I th- all of these together, uh, Leslie, I think make it make this offense. Crosses the line into uh, unconstitutionality,
0: and unconstitutionality under what grounds?
1: Well, this is—it's due process. I I like to use the term fundamental fairness. Okay, this is is really a violation of fundamental
0: fairness. So, unlike the Marrero case, which kind of factually is the same, I I, thought—I didn't know this law applied to me. What you're saying is that in Lambert, it's so unreasonable to believe that any type of law like this could potentially apply to you that it's fundamentally unfair? Well, is that what you're saying? Part of it? Okay. In other
1: words, again, I, I think it's I think it's the cumulative effect. The fact is that she was unaware of the statute. Right. So
0: that's what I mean it's kind of fact-based that it can tip the Statue scale. That she was
1: unaware of the statute, the fact that it there was an omission case, Got the it. fact that, that that it was the status of being a felon, the status of being in LA, all those coming together cross the line into actual. Okay.
0: Perfect. All right. So perfect. So those are your three strands. So your three strands are, I'm going to let you say them. They're so great.
1: Well, the three strands if the legislature wants to create a mistake of law uh, defense, it can do so. Right. Okay. The second is the, in the spirit uh, of the ex post facto prohibition or uh, stopple strand, mm-hmm. and and lastly, uh, fundamental uh, fairness, a violation of fundamental fairness due process. Now, there's one other I think really bears mentioning. Okay. And that is the cultural defense.
0: Okay. okay. And I'm just going to remind us that. These are all defenses that would allow a defendant to be excused from a crime, where otherwise saying "I didn't know this law existed" would never have been a defense. Correct. All right. So, so we've had your three strands. So, what's this other?
1: Well, the, cult- out there? the cultural defense yes. really relates to the fact that we're a multicultural society. We have a lot of immigrants moving into society. What happens when an immigrant comes into our country and is acting on the basis of the immigrant's own culture and not our culture? I think the most uh, dramatic Mm -hmm. example of this Mm
0: -hmm. is
1: in 1985 when a a Japanese woman, a recent immigrant, uh, found out that her husband was unfaithful. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So she attempted to drown herself and drown her two children, Mm -hmm. two young children and uh, in 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 Japan apparently there is a this is a practice that that is it's part of the suicide tradition in Japan but mm-hmm. it's a practice that is pretty apparently uh recognized although yeah. not necessarily lawful but recognized wow. now this again is a california case and ultimately uh she pled guilty to uh, manslaughter not murder
0: mm-hmm.
1: and ultimately served about a year in prison mm-hmm.
0: And not insanity, because it wasn't insane to do this It was really, it was like
1: based on her culture. Right, okay. right,
0: interesting.
1: Now, you know, so then, now you should, in 1995, Susan Smith was right. convicted of double homicide. Right. What did she do? She
0: drove her babies She She protrude, drowned
1: her two right. children, right. okay? But not and her. Not herself. Now, right. now <laughs> in, in, in the case, in the Japanese woman's case, it was, she tried to drown herself. She right. was rescued, okay. and the other two oh, okay. children okay. okay. weren't okay. rescued. I, okay. I, I shouldn't make that clear. Right. So the facts are a little bit sympathetic, mm-hmm. but Susan Smith received a 30 year sentence, prison right. sentence. So, so if you think of it, oh, so, the, so then, what, so what is the basis of this defense? It really is yeah. a mistake of law defense.
0: That's interesting. All right, wow, so yeah, all right, interesting, yeah. You see,
1: you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's really the culture is yes. yes. the law, mistake of law defense. So then, then the next important part of this analysis well, what is the justification for this?
0: Hmm. Right.
1: And the justification you have to think of it in terms of blameworthiness, culpability, retribution from her point of view, she was doing what her what was f- apparently fairly common in her culture in this situation right and consequently, how blameworthy is she mm-hmm. is she as blameworthy as Susan Smith was is the question okay, but according to her culture, this was not this was apparently not an uncommon practice, and most of the time Women would would get you know, relatively little punishment or no punishment at all if they happen to survive their their suicide attempt. Okay, and so and and that's the, so the person is just less blameworthy. So now do courts recognize this? And the answer is published opinions. There are virtually none. There are very few. Okay, this is really operating on the level of plea bargaining. Okay, primarily. Right. So so DAs mm-hmm. and uh, and trial courts in many, particularly urban areas with a lot of immigrants, that they are recognizing and have recognized the cultural defense on, wow. on this basis. Okay? Now, so the so the argument for it, yes. again, is the idea that, well, this person really, I mean, you know, she, she's really not as blameworthy as it would be a Native American who did the same thing. The arguments against, however, are utilitarian grounds. mm mm-hmm. right? If you think of it, we're applying different standards to immigrants than to Americans. Okay? And the other argument would be, well, a person comes to our country, the expectation is that they learn our customs, that they, you know, they act like Americans would do. I mean, that's what we expect. Right. We want to uh, encourage, so we want to deter individuals from not learning our, our culture and, and, the, and the like. Okay. So again, very and why you know, again why, why we have these very di- so divergent standards to compare those two cases, so, so so that's the argument back and forth. But this is in the in the nature of a mistake of law defense, okay. and it's one that you know that the courts you know have been at least to a certain extent been recognizing at least on the trial level, if not in terms of published opinions.
0: And it fits kind of into the spirit of what you're suggesting with the three strands and something just from a theoretical perspective to think about, which is this justification of walking away from our entrenched principle that ignorance of the law is no excuse.
1: It is. Well, if you go back to the Marrero case where we started, I mean, if you look at it from pure blameworthiness retribution perspective, well, I mean, how blameworthy was Mr. Morero? Right. I mean, you know, he... I think he honestly believed he had, he was told he had the right, you know, the person he bought a gun from apparently told him that as a officer, he doesn't have to get a license to come into New York City. Right. And, and that is what he did. So, you know, so it's, it's, it really, it's, it's very similar analysis,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, again, it's played out in a slightly different stage, a slightly
0: different manner. Wow. Well, this is wonderful. I mean, it really, you you have unpacked it in such a, a thoughtful and understandable way, and mm-hmm. I think I'm going to change my teaching from it. So I really appreciate it. One last quick question. Sure. If you went to law school today, what's one thing you would do differently?
1: Oh, if I went to law school today. <laughs> well, you know what I tell students. What? I tell students, you know, and in fact, I really got this tip from a, from one of my when I teach at University of Florida from one of my you know, from one Go of the, top, stu- Go the top students in the class. Okay. And. And what he said was, you have to practice the tested skill.
0: Okay. All right.
1: So his 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 theory, and I have to say, I've tried to encourage students to do this, is to practice writing exams. And so I think that's one way to really improve, you know, one's performance. Mm -hmm. And there are exams on file. Professor has at least one or more exams available. If one wants to do better at law school, I think practice the tested skill.
0: It's great advice. Thanks so much for taking the time. This has been wonderful. Okay. Thank you, Leslie. So that's my discussion with Professor Tom McDonald. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, as always, to www.bensound.com for the music. Just another reminder that all of our episodes are available and organized by subject at www.lawtofact.com. If you'd like to request a particular topic or a professor with whom we should speak, you can contact us at lawtofact.com at gmail.com, or tweet us at Laude of Fact. Enjoy your day.